Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. All right, Colin, I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite uh, psychology experiments. Excellent. Uh, this one was run uh, on the campus of Arizona State University back in the 1970s. And they would stop students walking across campus, and they would ask them one of two versions of a, of a survey question. They, they claimed that they were from a county youth counseling program. And one group of people, they would stop and they'd say, excuse me, uh, we represent this, this youth counseling program. Would you be willing to chaperone a group of juvenile delinquents on a day trip to the zoo? So this is the 1970s. You're still allowed to call rowdy kids juvenile delinquents. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the response, this is shockingly high to me. So they got 17% who said yes. I, I can't I'm just, I can't imagine the setting in which I yeah, would say yes. I certainly course. wouldn't be one of those 17, yeah. that 17%. No, and to the zoo, no less. That just, yeah. that's, why don't we start with something easier? Let's go to Sears first, right? No, yeah. I went to the zoo. Uh, the people would alternate. So sometimes people would get that question. Other times people would would get this. So, hey, excuse me, we're, we're representatives of the County Youth Counseling Program. Would you be willing to volunteer two hours per week as a counselor to juvenile delinquents for a minimum of two years? Nobody said yes to that, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was not good. No. After that, though, when they got the rejection, then they asked, would you be willing to chaperone a group of juvenile delinquents to a day trip to the zoo? 50% said yes. So it went from 17% to 50% for the same question. So it's less of an ask. It's It feels like it, doesn't it? It does. does. Uh, I mean, it's the same overall ask technically. Um, sure. But it, we've now framed it in a different way. So this is um, this experiment was run by a guy named Cialdini, who we're actually going to talk about, I think, in a couple of podcasts that we'll do. Uh, very, very big in the persuasion space. Um but he called this an example of uh, reciprocity and specifically something uh, called the door in the face technique. And the idea is that if you're in a sales situation, uh, a lot of times if you start out with a big ask, uh, if you really ask for something huge, uh, knowing that people are going to reject you, then follow up with a smaller ask, which, which may have been what you really wanted in the first place, um, then people are more likely to say yes to the second one. Uh, and the idea there is is that these are reciprocal concessions. Um, I I'm climbing down from the thing that I really wanted, which was this big thing, and now you're climbing down from the thing you wanted, which was to say no, and we're kind of meeting somewhere in the middle. So this this is a bit similar to reference points, isn't it? Very much so. Um, what do you have in mind? Well, just you, you know, it's a bit like saying. Uh, I'm, you know, the the price of this system that you're going to buy is a million dollars. And so you put that thought in their mind, it's a million dollars. But now you're actually selling it to them for three quarters of a million dollars. Maybe maybe I've got my my numbers too big because that maybe shocks people anyway. Uh, But it's the same principle. In other words, you're going for something larger, but uh, coming back from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and this points to one of the instances where reciprocity is less likely to work. Um, You're absolutely right. If you've got a very solid reference point for how much this thing is worth, um, 
then you're going to be less influenced by reciprocity and, and these the sales techniques. So if you go into a uh, Walmart and say, hey, I see that you're selling this shampoo for $2.50. Um, I'd like to pay a nickel for it. Why don't we meet somewhere in the middle? Um, not going to work. Sure. Right. Uh, sure. Because they, they have a very well-established reference point. They know exactly how much this thing is going to sell, sell for. Uh, whereas if you go and uh, try to buy a car from somebody, and, uh, you know they may be much more likely to uh, play around with the price a little bit because neither of you has quite as solid a reference point for how much this thing should sell for. Yeah, so I get. It, it, I mean, so the example I would use would be um, you, somebody's coming in to buy something. It doesn't. I wouldn't necessarily say it. You know, or you, you're selling them something. I don't know, a raffle ticket or whatever. If you're smiling at them and, and if you've nice to them and maybe got them a cup, cup of coffee or something like that, then they the way the phrase I would use is they sort of feel obliged more obliged yep. to, 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 to do that. that That's I mean, exactly that... it. And I think that uh, of the situation you described, it would mostly be the coffee that would induce reciprocity. So if I've given something to you, you now feel obligated to return the favor. Uh, you see a lot of charities do this where um, you open the solicitation and um, out will fall, you know, uh, address stickers uh, um, that you can put on your envelope or, um, yeah. some other small gift. And um, when they do, they're trying to engage in reciprocity where um, I- I'm going to give you something first. It's free. It's no obligation. But here's this gift to you. And then now that you've received it, you, you feel this obligation. Like, oh, all right, I should probably donate something to this charity in return. Yeah, and I guess we see that, that I'm thinking websites and stuff like that where, you know, download this free book now with- We'd ask you to write a review on it or um, that sort of association. Yeah. yeah. So the key to reciprocity, and then there are other sales techniques, other kind of influences that work on us. But the key to reciprocity specifically is you give something first yeah. and they feel obligated to return. If, if it's seen as payment, then it's not reciprocity. That doesn't work. So um, if, hey, if you write this review for us, then we're going to give you uh, this free gift. That's not reciprocity. Reciprocity right. works with giving something for free first and then getting something in return. So when you think about it, it's a bit like um, content marketing, isn't it? So let, let, let me explain my thought. So content marketing is... Uh, and we do a lot of this, you know, and this podcast is content marketing, isn't it? Um, you know, we're providing a lot of content for free. So we're doing it up front, you know, in the hope that somebody will go, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to contact these guys and, you know, talk to them about this in a bit bit further, basically. So it's, I don't know if I'm off, off beam with this but we're giving something we're not charging it's free of charge etc etc all the blogs and everything else that we do um but you know ultimately you're looking for something back yeah i i I do think that would be potentially an example of reciprocity like um particularly to the extent that people feel obligated to return because of it um you know i think that uh npr with their uh uh, donation drives, uh, membership yeah. drives is another example, right? We're giving you this 
this offering for free. You don't need to pay a subscription service to get it. We're just giving it out for free. Um, and that creates some sense of obligation among some people to want to, uh, to give back, to donate. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. When people give away free pens and... Uh, I don't know, pads of paper or, I don't know, memory sticks or, you know, that whole sort of, I forget what they call it now, what industry it is, but that whole industry where you can have your logo on it, et cetera, is that a form of reciprocity? Yes. Um, you know, anything where I'm giving you a gift. Now, now we can try to diagnose when this will be more likely to work and less likely to work. Um the so uh, early on, you remember that the Hare Krishna movement? Yeah. Um, so early on, apparently, in the, and this is a story Cialdini tells in, in one of his books, uh, it, they their movement um, exists largely off of charitable donations. That's how they support themselves. Um, and they were not having a great deal of luck uh, at soliciting donations until they started in the 1970s. Uh, giving people gifts so they would give out carnations famously um so here here's a flower from from the Hare krishnas uh we just want you to have a good day would you like to donate uh, and they found that, that was very successful uh, if you give people a small gift first then people open their wallets but it stopped working over time um why well for the same reason that you don't donate to these charities that send you all these address stickers which by the way have never spelled my name right um it's not a terribly <laughs> difficult name i was gonna but, like, say it's not exactly it's, difficult it's not hard it's got typos in it every time i still use the stickers because i'm cheap but um <laughs> it's not not helpful but it, because all these charities have started doing it because everybody's read Chaldini's book now um it starts to feel less like a gift and more like a, a sales technique and when it does then it doesn't feel like something that you're obligated to return. And the same thing, if somebody gives you a pen with their logo on it, like, yes, they've given you a gift, but you know that it's cost them two and a half cents, and you also know that they're trying to get something out of it, uh, and so you feel less of a sense of obligation. Yeah, but for me, where it starts to come in, and I'm thinking now particularly in the business-to-business arena, um, and you'll recall that's my background, you know, doing somebody a favor yes uh, you know uh, i'm gonna do you a favor by you know wherever this may be by i don't know uh, maybe i'm ultimately went the price but uh, you know i'm gonna stay here and sort this out for you i'm going to get this extra service for you that you don't have to pay for or whatever but i'm part of my relationship building is i'm doing you a favor yeah um you know that sort of then adds up doesn't it yes so um, I mean, reciprocity is a huge part of long-term B2B sales relationships. Um, you know, we've got what's in the contract, but, you know, uh, I'll come in on the weekend to help you out this time because I know that it's important to you. Um, and you'll remember that. And then the next time we got to, you know, go back out for a bid, you, you know that, you know, I kind of owe these guys. And so 
um, yeah, that back and forth, that reciprocity um, is very, very important in defining a lot, especially these long-term sales relationships. Yeah, one of one of our clients, we had a situation where uh, they used to take a con. This is business to business. They used to take a contract out for a you know um, two, three, five years, depending on what a client wanted to sign up for. But then towards the end of the contract, what the client used to do was obviously go out to the market and retender, basically. Um, and this this client of ours was never the cheapest in the marketplace, and mm-hmm. the day was that they then lost business one of the things that we suggested that they did was that all of these favors that they were doing that they recorded in a monthly report and Mm -hmm. put a value against it yeah um so when it come to the end of the three-year contract they could then turn around to the client and go well this is the contract that we'd signed with you but these are all the things that we've done for you over and above that and here is the value of that yeah um you know let's take this into account when we're now looking at re-signing the contracts and that had a marked that had a marked improvement on um the business that they then subsequently won because the client was taking those as being givens as it were you know they weren't putting a value true value on it does that make sense? Right. Yeah. They weren't they weren't viewing it as a gift, um, as something that would instill a sense of obligation in them. Um, yeah. And once it was articulated, once they realized that, oh, no, these, these are extras, these are favors, then reciprocity starts to kick in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and then that then had a marked effect on um, the amount of business that they started to started to win. Okay, so is there um, is there anything? Um, what advice would you give an organisation then when looking at this from a sales perspective? I mean, so you 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 highlighted some of it, right? One one strategy that you can use, um, which is to kind of isolate and define the extras. Um, so if it, people will respond to something differently if it's seen as being an extra than if it's seen as being kind of bundled in with the package. So if I've sold you a, a package of, um, oh, let me, let me give you an example. Um, so they ran a study where um, they had waiters um, systematically and randomly uh, give mints to um, patrons uh, along with right. their bill Um but they, they change the conditions sometimes. So sometimes they would give just mints like regular. Sometimes they would give um, extra mints. Right. And sometimes they would give mints and then turn, walk around, walk away, take a few steps, turn back around and say, you know what, for you guys, here's some extra mints. All right. um, and giving people mints improves the tips. Giving them extra mints, like, you know, more than were the people at the table, that improved tips a little bit more. But what improved tips the most is if you turned, walked around, and then made the deliberate decision to gift them these extra, you know, quarter cent value mints that um, they weren't going to even eat and would throw away later. That was seen as a gift, and that then obligated people. They felt like they needed to tip more. Yeah, yeah. And so isolate these things. Make sure that they're seen as being extra, seen as being gifts, as favors. That's what um, uh, activates reciprocity. 
make sure that it's seen as being genuine. If people perceive it to be a sales technique, then their defenses are up and they, they don't feel obligated to respond at all. Um, yeah. And, and for me, that's about doing it naturally uh, yeah. and also um, thinking about when, when you do it. So the, your example of the restaurant is a good one uh, because it's the end of the experience. Yeah. And it's at the end of an experience, and we we know that through peak end rule and, and stuff like that that we've talked about on other podcasts. Uh, but also, clearly, a key time for the waiter. What bugs the hell out of me is um, when you get the waiters who are really, you know, not very attentive. But when then they give you the bill, they come up to you and they go, "Here's the bill," and really have a nice night. And you think to yourself, "Yeah, the only reason you're doing this now is because it's come to tip time, basically." That's right. So, but what yeah, I need and, to tell so them that, is just, just give me a destroys... few more minutes and I'll give you, I'll give me a few more minutes and I'll be fine. <laughs> I can be bribed <laughs> by my requirements. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this, this is one of many kind of social influences. Um, so we feel just at kind of a societal level that there needs to be this give and take, kind of this the network of obligations. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, if, if it's seen as being you you're trying to take advantage of me, then I feel no obligation. Um, yeah. And response don't happen. So for me, I would say you got to, you need to think this through. Uh, and again, for me, the key word here is about being deliberate. So think through what, you know, what, what does this mean? What, what could we do the whole piece about um, doing this proactive? not waiting for them to give you something for you to give them something first think about what that what that could be it, it clearly can't be the same thing there's no point in turning around and going here's a pen one week and then going here's another pen here's another pen mm. uh, you know every week it needs to it needs to change and think about in the design of your experience when you would do that um, because that again becomes um, that then be, again becomes a key thing Anything else you'd add before we wind up? Um, no, I mean, this is one of those great sales techniques where, um, to your point, it should be kind of deliberate but natural. Like, being nice can improve sales in these, yeah. some of these contexts. So, um, I mean, it matters how you're nice and in what way and how it's interpreted. But, um, you know, this is one of those great things where you can train your people to be nice. And that Absolutely. can work out well. And remember, Ryan, you do owe me a couple of beers from last time that we met. And there's a small favor I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> you've got it, Colin. Uh, you should go back and listen to this podcast and uh, we can try again. I thought that. I was, was going to get that one. Never mind. That's all right. That's his life. Uh, but put it, Brian, there'll be a pen in the post here, so you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> promises, promises. All right. Thanks, everybody for um for listening uh, again this week and we look forward to talking to you next week any suggestions on what you'd like us to cover uh, then please just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com that's contact at beyondphilosophy.com look forward to talking to you next week thanks everybody this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.